So I heard this joke about uh, um, this guy went to the Super Bowl and he saved up all of his money and he got his tickets and he he went to the game and it's a sold out you know game except <clears throat> he's sitting in this row and there's this woman and she's sitting by like three empty seats and so he's he's wondering what what's the deal there and so he um, you know during halftime he asks her says so you know um, you enjoying the game? Is this your first time? And she says, no, 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 we have uh, season tickets. We, we, we have uh, Super Bowl tickets in our family. We're, 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 we always come. It's like, oh, we? So is your, uh, you know, what, where, where's the rest of your family? And um, I think I'm ruining the punchline. Anyway, <laughs> uh, the punchline is her husband died and, and the rest of the family's at the funeral, but she's, she went to the Super Bowl. Ah, uh, boy, that is a stinker. Woo! I'll work on that. I'll work, tell that next year. <laughs> yeah, I'll read it. I'll read it off the paper next time. Well, good morning. All right, so we are a couple weeks into our series in, uh, through the book of John, and um, we're going to be hopping. So we, we, we're hopping into chapter 3. Um, in chapter 2, uh, Jesus and his disciples get invited to the wedding at Cana, where a bridegroom apparently brought out the best wine at the end. How that happened, the servants know. You can read about that yourself. Anyway, so Jesus and disciples then go to the Passover feast in Jerusalem, and in verse 223, John says, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in, in him. Other translations will say that many believed in his name. It is in this early point in Jesus' ministry that people start to take notice of him. And uh, he's explaining the Father to men and women with grace and truth, and not merely explaining with words, but with actions, with miraculous signs, and for many, probably Peter like or people like Andrew and Peter, John and Philip and Nathaniel, who we read about last week, these people have been reading the prophets and hearing about the coming of the Lamb of God. They witness miraculous signs and they believe in Jesus' name. So the section of scripture that we're going to be looking at today is one of the conversations that Jesus has with a very well-educated, very respected, and very important man. This man cannot deny what Jesus is able to do, but he's not ready to trust in him or believe in his name. Because this man has a context for understanding God and the law and religion that is getting in the way of understanding the truth about Jesus. So today we'll be reading John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, and looking at Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, a Pharisee. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we invite you into our midst. Um, we pray that you, having 
been there during this conversation that you had with Nicodemus, Lord, that you would just open our minds to um, uh, the truths that you spoke. Help us to understand. Help us to um, connect with, with what you have said. Amen. So I'm, gonna, uh, I'm using the, the New Living Translation today, so the words may seem a little different if you're used to another translation. So uh, John, verse, uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. So, <clears throat> the fact that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, we, we, we'll, we'll fill in some of that context. So, the Pharisees were a uh, religious kind of subgroup, and they were all about knowing and obeying all of the laws. They had memorized over 600 laws, and it was a point of pride that they obeyed all of them. And they were so adamant about obeying them that they would make rules about following the rules. So, for example, you know, it's um, one of the rules is don't, don't do any work, don't do any labor on the Sabbath day. Well, what is work? What is labor? So uh, one of the definitions was a man couldn't tie a knot in a rope on a bucket to lower it down to draw water from a well on the Sabbath. Tying a rope was work. But if a woman tied uh, her garment together, that wasn't considered work. So if you needed water, you had your wife tie a part of her garment around the bucket, and then you would get the water out of the well. So they, they loved the rules. They made up new rules. They created ways to get around the rules. Sounds like uh, uh, lawyers, right? Nicodemus shows respect to Jesus. He, he calls him rabbi. And he seeks him out as a teacher sent by God. What he doesn't realize is he is God sent to teach us. So in verses 3 and 4, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So Jesus doesn't even warm up. He just comes out <laughs> swinging, right? Nicodemus takes this term of born again literally, can't understand what he's talking about, so Jesus continues. Verses 5 through 9. Jesus replied, <clears throat> I assure you, so Jesus has got an idea. He, he knows what he wants to talk to Nicodemus about. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can produce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. 
So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Poor Nicodemus. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asks. So Jesus is not pulling any punches. And he's going right to the heart of the need of all humankind who wish to enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, an expert in the laws and a leader in the group that values above all else, knowing all of the laws and obeying all of the laws, probably assumes that when he offers all of his law-knowing and law-obeying to God, that God will count that towards him as righteousness. And that it will allow him to enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is working from a religious mindset. I offer these sacrifices of mine, and that makes me righteous. Do we offer God what we choose or what he requires? So Jesus is rocking Nicodemus's religious boat, and I've got to give Nicodemus credit. <clears throat> He's not getting upset. He's not calling Jesus names or counter-accusing him of anything, which is what we will see is very common behavior from the Pharisees when they're dealing with Jesus. Nicodemus is trying to follow along with the logic that only people born physically and spiritually can enter the kingdom of God. And all he can say is, how are these things possible? And in verse 10, Jesus replies to him, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? So since the Pharisees are seen as the bad guys a lot of times, our tendency is to be like, yeah, you don't understand these things. Some teacher you are. Or maybe you read these verses and your thought is, yeah, Nicodemus, I'm with you. Uh, where is Jesus getting this from? Is this new wisdom, new teachings, direct from God and only Jesus understands it? But as respected and important as Nicodemus is as a main Jewish teacher and religious leader, we would expect him to know the prophet's teachings. And in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27, we read this. So Ezekiel was a prophet to uh, the Israelites when they were not following the Lord. So here he says this, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So this idea of the Spirit coming in shouldn't be, well, I don't know. I want to give Nicodemus credit, but 
So one of my study books says this, in spite of all of his learning, Nicodemus had missed it. He was so focused on cleaning the outside and keeping the external laws that he missed what God said. In essence, God said, you need to be clean on the inside, washed with water. You need your heart to come alive by my spirit. Then and only then will you be able to obey me. Let's take a look at the order that, that the prophet Ezekiel says this, right? So this is God speaking. That's why there's the quotes. Then I, God, will sprinkle you, you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. God initiates our cleanness. Before he cleans us, we're worshiping idols. After he cleans us, we no longer worship idols. After he puts his spirit on us, we follow his decrees and obey his regulations. The Pharisees thought God wanted radical, external conformity. And they missed the promise of radical, internal transformation. God said, I don't want you to clean yourself. I want to make you brand new. So Jesus finishes up his chastisement of Nicodemus in verses 11 and 12, and then he goes into more of this explaining of the Father to us. Eleven and twelve. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And then he goes on into verses thirteen through sixteen. No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but. The Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up, up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The reference that Jesus makes to Moses lifting up a bronze snake is found in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. So the Israelites have been um, saved from um, slavery. They've been, you know, miraculously delivered from Egypt by God. And they're in the wilderness, free from slavery, and they start to complain. We have no food, no water. The food you provide is horrible. Did you bring us out here to die? God responds to their complaining by sending poisonous snakes to bite the people. Their bite brings death. After the people repent, God commands Moses to craft the image of a snake and mount it on a pole and lift it up. And those who look at the snake will live. The serpent's 
poisonous bite won't kill them when they look at the, the snake. That's the only hope for the Israelites who have venom coursing through their veins. They could try something else, but it wouldn't work. In that scenario, it was life or death for the Israelites. And in the same way that Moses lifted up the bronze snake as the salvation for those who had been bitten by a poisonous snake, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Do you see a pattern between the passage in Ezekiel and the story about the bronze snake from Numbers and then John, verses 14 through 16? In every case, God the Father is providing the cleansing, providing the Holy Spirit, providing the salvation from death by poison, providing the salvation to eternal life through belief in his Son. In all of these passages of Scripture, humankind is the recipient, and God is the gift giver. And his gift is for the whole world. We'll look at uh, verses 16 to 17 now. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. But I know all these rules, and I obey them all, and I sit in judgment against anyone that I see who does not obey these rules. Doesn't that count for anything? Aren't I good enough? Aren't you impressed with my offerings? Jesus says that his being sent into the world is not about judging the world. God sent Jesus in order to save the world through Jesus. The Father's heart is tuned into salvation for all humankind for the whole world. And the Jews, Pharisee like Nicodemus, would have had the worldview that because the Israelites, the Jews, were the chosen people, they would assume that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is open to the Jews. And that obedience to the law would be a way to hedge your bets to ensure that you would enter the kingdom of God. But that's religion. What God is asking for is not religion. What God is asking for is faith. Put your faith in him and in the one that he sent. Put your trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus as the son of God. The remaining verses that we'll look at today are Jesus talking plainly about judgment and about people and in the same way that Jesus starts his conversation with Nicodemus talking plainly about how to enter the kingdom of God, here he talks plainly about the reality of people's choice, a person's ability to choose, and the results of those choices. Verse 18 through 21. 
There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. And I love how these words are woven into our, our worship songs. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. Doing what right what is right is visible because those doing right come to the light which testifies that they are doing what God wants. Uh, another way to say this that I found in my, um, my Bible translation was, those who do what is right come to the light so others can see God at work in what they are doing. And I really like that idea. I think seeing God at work in what I'm doing is a better testimony to God than just seeing me doing what God wants. So in plain English, unbelief in God is sin. In the book of Numbers, the Israelites turn their backs on God and his provision. Did you bring us out here to die? Right? That's, that's not a, a, a statement of trust in God. And their condemnation for that came in the form of poisonous snakes. And after their repentance, salvation from death was offered by God. Look at the serpent of bronze that is raised up. Unbelief in the one that God sent is sin. I think... Right. After their repentance, salvation from God was or from death was offered by God, which was look at the bronze serpent that's raised up. Unbelief in the one that God sent is sin. And the judgment for loving the darkness and doing evil and hating the light is destruction. I used to have this this thinking, if people spend their whole lives um, running from God, in the eternity he gives them what they want, absence of his presence. See Jesus lifted up. Recognize that he was given to stop you from perishing, but that you would have eternal life, that you would enter the kingdom of God. Have you ever felt judged as a believer? Do you feel judged as a believer now? What does verse 18 say? There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. When you believe in Jesus, he states that there is no judgment against you. Jesus knows the Father better than anyone else, and he explains him to us. Would you like to guess who wants you to feel judged? Satan. Why? 
Because when you are tricked into the religious effort of trying to please God with your actions, that keeps you from accepting his love and his offer of him cleaning you up. So today as we wrap up, I want to leave us with two things. If you do not believe in Jesus as God's one and only son, that is your choice. John 3, 18 through 20 makes it pretty clear and plain how that impacts you. These verses also make it fairly plain that God has made the first move. In this relationship between you and God, he is the pursuer. You don't need to be Jewish or obedient to hundreds of laws. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be clean. You don't need to be obedient. John 3.17 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Religious is what you can do to try and please God. I have news for you. God already loves you. And because he loves you, he wants you to not perish, but have eternal life. So he made that possible for you. The Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. The Holy Spirit is the gift given to all who believe in Jesus. Eternal life begins when you believe in God's sent Son, and we are made spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit. The other thing is that um, for us who believe, I see John 3.21 as an echo back to what we learned was God's marching orders to humankind from the beginning. We hit that over and over again in the Eden Project. God's marching orders to Adam and Eve, to the people of Israel. We are to bear the image of God. We are to multiply his image. We are to fill the earth with his, with his image. And we are to rule the earth as ambassadors of the kingdom of God. But those who do what is right, come to the light so others can see God at work and what they're doing. Our purpose as bearers of the image of Jesus is to witness to others that God is real and he's at work. And that happens when we lean into the light, when we lean into Jesus. Let's have our, our worship team come up. And we're going to sing a final song, and then we're going to go into ministry time. And if something got brought up today, whether it's, you know, religion versus relationship, whether it's judging versus not being judged... Or maybe just brought something in with you that's completely different. We'd love to pray with you. 
Let's stand as we, as we pray here. God, we thank you for your words, and we pray that you would make them real. May your presence be with us today. May we experience you personally.